0: of the show it is daniel ortman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine A sports studios this is uh 8 a.m east coast time 5 a.m really early out there on the west coast so if you're up and you're watching and you're listening and you're getting ready for work kudos to you um i i rarely ever want to see 5 a.m so um You know, there's like a section of time on my clock every 24 hours. There's some hours that I really just don't want my eyelids open for. (laughs) 5 a.m. seems to be right in the middle of that zone. So, um, yeah, kudos to you if you're up and watching. Uh, Welcome into the show. It is Wednesday, December the 4th. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to kick off the show. Um, We're going to be joined here in a few minutes by uh, Nate... And I'm I'm sure I I butchered his name. We'll see if I get it right uh, here in a moment. But uh, I wanted to open the show talking about how we build deep, lasting relationships and fill gaps in the country. How we build deep relationships and how we fill gaps in the country. And what really brought this to mind uh, was an article in the New York Times uh, in, in this article is about Bury that, um, you know, three months ago, the, the club was pretty much just dissolved. And um, three months later, there's, there's no infrastructure but the club still exists in the form of five people who still go to the stadium every day. There's no phone, there's no heating, but the grass is still being cut. And, uh, this is a story in the New York times, their soccer club vanished. They kept coming a story of pride, boredom, loss, and loyalty. And, uh, I encourage you to check it out. It's by Rory Smith. Um, and it really got me thinking about how do we create these kinds of relationships across the U.S. With our, with our football clubs, with our soccer clubs? How do we build long-lasting, loyal, deep relationships? Now, we've talked about on this show the idea of being in the community for the community and with the community. This idea that we have to build long-term relationships that may not pay off financially for years to come, but will eventually set us up for a generational relationship, a lifelong relationship that will far in the long run pay off beyond a short-term transactional, very surface or shallow relationship. So I, I really wanted to start the show today kind of looking at how do we build these deep, lasting relationships? And how do we begin to fill the gaps across the United States when it comes to clubs and communities? Because I think those questions or that main central question is answered in, in a both-and Scenario. I don't think a club can operate on an island. I think if you if you put a club somewhere and it, and there's nothing close by, it will never reach its potential. Football clubs, to me, are are organizations that thrive on local competition and local does not necessarily mean that it has to be as close as say uh, a Liverpool and Everton but it 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 has to be close enough that both fan bases interact like a large majority of fan bases interact this is why college sports in America should be a model that we look at in my opinion as part of a solution to this question of how we build deep, long-lasting relationships and fill the gaps in the country. For a long time, we have, we have tried to fit a European solution on a continent-sized country. Most countries in Europe are the size of a state or a couple states, a few states maybe, In the United States, we are a huge country from a geographic standpoint. Massive. So when we look to leagues like the Premier League, we look to La Liga in Spain. We see, you know, 20 teams. And so we think we need 20 teams in our first division. But we're, we're not filling the gaps with 20 teams in our first division. We're not creating... Lifelong generational relationships because many of those fan bases are never going to intersect. They're never going to interact on a daily basis. You're never going to get the banter. College sports has provided us a great example, a great blueprint of what we could look at to answer this question, to solve this, to to create a solution to what is a really, really substantive problem. People criticize Major League Soccer and the quality of the play. And all of those criticisms are valid. The quality of play is not very good. But that argument is brought up from the standpoint of MLS going, we're going to keep expanding. 32, now we're going to go to 34. They're going to keep going as long as they can. They'll go to 100 if they can. They are trying to solve the same question. And this is something that I don't think people realize. They are looking at the map too. And they're going, there are massive gaps in this country. How do we solve it? We put a team in Miami. We have a team in Orlando. We put a team in Atlanta. Now we, we add a team in Nashville But there are still massive gaps in this country. You can go all over the country and you can look time and time again, even when you think, oh, we found a good place. Now we'll go and we'll look at Charlotte. But now you got Raleigh-Durham. You've got Knoxville. You've got Memphis. You've got New Orleans. You've got Birmingham, Alabama. You've got all these places a market that's never talked about Huntsville, Alabama, which will soon be the largest city in the state of Alabama, even bigger than Birmingham. No one's even talking about Huntsville. There are places around the country that are growing that could support multiple teams. So when we look at the answer to this question, how do we build lifelong, deep relationships, lasting relationships And how do we fill the gaps? I think Major League Soccer is trying to figure this out for themselves in their own way. I don't like their solution. I don't like closed system soccer, but I do understand their need to expand. They need it for a couple of reasons. One, their business model is predicated on paying out to current owners expansion fees to help keep the thing going. It's maybe not quite a Ponzi scheme, but it's pretty close. So these numbers are going up. 50, now to 100, 150, 200, 250, 300, 350 million. You see these numbers going. It's not because the demand has gotten so high that these, these territorial rights are worth 300 and 350 million dollars on their face. If this was an open market bidding situation, it's not It's not there. What's happening is it's an artificial scarcity market. And their model is predicated on getting these payouts to the rest of their owners. And so they can't dilute the payout. You're buying shares of a business. So if the 25 teams before you each put in money... to to buy an equity position that is equal to them, it means that your buy-in at that round has to be higher to get to the same equal percentage. But they, setting aside that model, they understand that there are massive gaps in the market, that there is a massive pinned-up demand, and, and they are trying to solve it their way. But the thing that we need to look at is the fact that they are trying to solve this question should give us hope. Not because they're going to come up with the answer, not to, because they're going to lead us there. The reason why that it, this should give us hope is that they, too, are seeing and feeling the problem they too are seeing and feeling an opportunity which only provides more evidence and more proof that this is a situation worth solving. How do we build lifelong lasting relationships and fill the gaps in the country? I think the college model is the way. A few weeks ago, we talked about on the show the idea of how you kind of break these things down into super conferences. You create a scenario where fans interact on a daily basis. The reason why Michigan and Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas Why these rivalries matter. Duke, North Carolina fans interact on a daily basis. Proximity matters. Without it, a club being on an island is never going to reach that level of passion. It's never going to reach lifelong relationship. You move away, you will slowly wither and die in terms of your loyalty to that organization. Because you're so far away, you're never going to see them again. Because we're a massive country. And it doesn't mean that all fans will do that. But what I'm talking about is the energy level, the passion level. It's very, very difficult to psych yourself up when you are living 500 miles away or 1,000 miles away from your team. But when you are in a community, if you're in a pub, if you're in the stadium itself with hundreds, thousands of fans and you're going crazy, all of those seeds of lifelong lasting relationships just keep building and then you go to work and you're talking about the match and you work, you have a coworker that, that roots for your biggest rival and they're like, you're crazy And you go back to them, you're crazy. And the banter continues. This is what we lack in the country. This is what we need in the country. How do we build lifelong lasting relationships? How do we fill the gaps? By doing both and. Now we change our mentality about relationships with communities we, we quit asking what we can get out of you and from you. We start looking at how we can serve you. That's number one. And then we look at ways to connect with clubs and help other communities build clubs so that we have rivalries, that we have competition, if you're looking at this as a zero-sum game and we don't want any competitors, eventually you're going to be your own worst enemy because you will die. If you were to take the University of Alabama and pull it out of the middle of the SEC and pluck it out and, and drop it into Montana, eventually the Alabama you all know in college football the passion level, the support, the crazy rabid fans, all the resources and assets will slowly wither and die because it's out of its environment. It's out of its element. It's out of the SEC. There's no proximity. There's not Auburn fans running around the state of Montana. There's not LSU fans running around the state of Montana, but they are in the SEC. If we want our professional football clubs, our our soccer clubs to become something deep, loyal, meaningful, we have to fill the gaps. We have to think even bigger than Major League Soccer. 34? We're not even scratching the surface. We're not even halfway there. We've got to get bigger. We've got to quit looking at this as European solutions stretched over an American continent sized problem and start looking at adapting what we can learn from Europe and what we can learn from what works here and find a way to fill the gap with a workable solution. We need more, not less. The quality will come as we get more coverage, as we get more density of clubs, not less. Too many people are looking at this as we water down potential by adding more clubs. The truth is, is until we get to a place where we can adequately cover this country with scouting and resources, Our talent pool is never going to grow to the level it could be with just a few dozen teams. We have to scale this thing out. We've got to start looking at our entire soccer ecosystem like a massive chain of stores you're, you've got to build a brand identity, which is the, the league system of connected leagues. You've got to build an identity of connected clubs all over this country so that you build density and proximity to a level where people can't escape it. You look at a city like Pittsburgh, a city like San Diego, city like Albuquerque, New Mexico, San Antonio, Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, Raleigh, North Carolina, Memphis, Tennessee. I could keep going over and over again, massive cities that could support a club at the highest level. And we think that they have to be at Division II just because we can only have 20 or 30 teams designated as D1. No. We need to open our minds and realize that building lifelong lasting relationships and closing the gaps, doing these things at the same time will make everything stronger in the end. Speaking of making things better in your life and stronger, you need to build a better relationship with Brand. If you haven't already, go to D-U-K-T-I-G-Brand.com. If you use promo code DWSHOW, you will get 10% off of your order. It's the holiday season. They've got incredible products. If you haven't checked them out already, shame on you. Do it now. DuckTickBrand.com promo code DW show, and you will get 10% off of your order. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back into the show this morning. Thanks for tuning in. We are pleased to be joined by Nate Abadrea. Uh Hopefully, I didn't murder uh, your last name, Nate. You uh, you are a well known uh, broadcaster, journalist, extraordinaire, covering the the game down in Southern California and in Tijuana. Um, welcome to the show. How are you this morning?
1: I'm doing great, and after that, uh, I'd say solid B plus, maybe even up to an A minus performance on the uh, Basque pronunciation on my last name. There, I'm uh, I'm ready for this interview. I'm excited and ready to go. I give you a, I'll bump you up to an A minus. Not bad. Not
0: hey, bad. I'll take it. Uh, you know, look, I'm I'm not really into participation trophies, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I I'll I'll take the effort trophy at least for trying, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I, I, I really I, I appreciate that uh, extra little bump for the the A minus. <laughs> mom will be very happy that i'm maintaining an a average even to this day that's good that's good so my mom, my mom is a retired school teacher i'm married to a school oh, teacher yes yes yeah, so a great grades well, matter they'll,
1: they'll both be proud to know that it was actually probably more like an 87 88 but the effort and the good attitude that you had all semester is what got you up to the uh the 91 there so cheers
0: Hey, listen. Every now and then, you just got to take whatever extra credit you can get, you know, exactly, because the grade exactly. matters more than what you actually know. At least that's uh, there. You go. The, <laughs> the lesson too <laughs> often in education. That's how, I, that's
1: how I got through college. So uh, onward,
0: there we go. There we go. So look, I, I I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, and and love your work, love your enthusiasm about the sport. And but be, before we kind of get into some of the things you 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 worked on recently, I want to kind of go back even further. Where did this love affair for the sport begin for you? What was kind of the connecting point and and what made it stick for you to continue to be such a big part of your life even today?
1: I would say that geographically and culturally, it began in a little town called Watsonville, California, uh, which is on the central coast of the Golden State, Santa Cruz County. uh, For those of Y'all out there familiar with the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, that neck of the woods. I'm about an hour south where I grew up uh, in in Watsonville. And Watsonville is a, a very complex, uh, unique place. And as far as ethnic makeup and cultural makeup, it's a place that's 75, 80% Latino and predominantly uh, Mexican-American. And I was raised on football Mexicano from the time I was old enough to know what a soccer ball was. I was playing in the streets from the time I was three, four years old and everything I could uh, to get further and further connected uh, to the game as a fan, as a young, I mean, five, six years old saying I wanted to be a football writer. I wanted to be a football broadcaster. I wanted to be a soccer player. I wanted to be a soccer coach by the time I was like nine or 10. It all was uh, kind of a, a, a sped up growing process. And thankfully I've managed to do I think all of those except for the professional player, that was the one uh, I was unable uh, to accomplish, unfortunately. But uh, I would have to give all credit uh, to the hometown and and the very heavily Mexican-American influenced uh, upbringing in Watsonville. And one other thing that would uh, tie into to this answer to your question there is uh, spiritually – Um, Some folks in England uh, very much uh, raised me, and I would say that uh, a handful of individuals who were present in my Santa Cruz County upbringing and towns like Santa Cruz and Capitola, Aptos, up to San Jose, down to Monterey and Salinas, um, there was a lot of uh, English expat influence uh, in my life, and there was uh, an old British pub called the Britannia Arms uh, locally where we would go and watch games. And I became a Liverpool supporter by the time I was five years old. Uh, so Mexican soccer. And British football, uh, probably the two greatest influences uh, in in my life. And credit credit to both, credit to the the strengths and flaws of both and uh, all that they are uh, to this day as the Premier League and broader English football. And, of course, uh, League MX are cornerstones of, of my life and even this uh, little thing I like to call a career. So, onward.
0: So, you are a fan of... of- the two biggest leagues in American. Soccer, right? So they're the most watched leagues, Liga and Mecca and 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 the Premier League. They are, are regularly getting the highest ratings um, in in American viewership, American households. Um, in terms of Watsonville, before we move on, describe the town, describe the city. You you, you did mention the de- a little bit of the demographics, but you know, in terms of a uh, uh, footballing culture, this is something that is um, in, in today's conversation about how do we grow the game you know US soccer will ask sometimes these big macro questions uh, at, at an AGM or at one of their council meetings or what have you you know how how do we reach the unaffiliated or how do we grow the game in the grassroots what, you know we don't have a, a long or deep and historic um, you know soccer culture and yet you're describing a culture that really shaped you you know from the time you were in diapers uh, uh, that that really kind of molded you and, and guided you in this journey, this love affair with the game. So, w- what was it like growing up there? I mean, was was pickup? Were, you know, were pickup games kind of part of the everyday thing? Was it, were, were were there kind of these kind of Hispanic Latino leagues around that people played in? You know, what was the environment like for you as a kid growing up and playing in Watsonville, California?
1: Um, to those last two. Kind of mini questions within there. Yes and yes. Um, Pickup soccer is everything in in a place like Watsonville. Playing whatever, wherever. I mean, it, it don't matter. You got nice grass, you got turf, you got a dirt lot, you got a street corner, you got a game. And that's always how it should be. And that's how it is a lot of places around the world. And mind you, there is plenty of regimented, strict, practice, training, traditional, whatever you want to call it, soccer in watsonville and and some great coaches and and great youth programs and and phenomenal high school programs historically great uh public high school programs uh specifically at at my alma mater at watsonville there's also uh an uphill battle that that most kids seemingly have to fight um when they're from where i'm from when they're from neighboring cities like Salinas there's been a lot of uh, really good journalism over the last couple of years about uh, the city of Salinas and Alisal High School and and Nilo de football and and what people call nets you know footballing nets where where the game is is nurtured and and people are are raised uh, on on this stuff and and talent is cultivated uh, in in these places and and it grows up and it becomes more and more talented and, and full of potential, and then it reaches that level of, well, what gets done with it when we're talking 16, 17 years old, and I've written extensively, I encourage everybody to uh, have maybe a little bit better understanding as far as where I grew up and how it relates to everything I do for a living now, and this conversation I'm I'm having right now here with you, Daniel, Um, to go on to uh, medium.com and just search my name, and the uh, name of the piece was... Uh, Salinas and Watson, the cultural disconnect of American soccer, and it basically went into the pay-to-play system and everything that the system of of player development that we have in this country and how it very much uh, ignores places like Watsonville and Salinas and countless others, uh, whether it's the neglect overall kind of neglect and disrespect towards uh the latino population of this country or if you want to look at it more from a socioeconomic point of view or if you want to get real crazy and deep smart about it and combine them and look at the uh, you know ethnic cultural um uh segregation for lack of a better way to put it uh that really happens within our soccer nation and you want to combine that uh with the the socioeconomic reasoning and, and the consequences of the pay-to-play system because it depends how much time you have. I always tell people how, how much time you have for the answer, how much time you have to do some research. So if you got more than uh, five or 10 minutes, I encourage everybody out uh, there listening right now to go check out that piece. You can Google it, just search Salinas and Watson, the cultural disconnect uh, of American soccer. and And you'll find out A lot more. Try to give you the Cliff Notes version right now, where I'm from and what it all means. But uh, check out the piece for uh, for a little more info on that.
0: So you grow up in an area that is overlooked, disregarded. I would say uh, there has been, uh, even if it's not intentional, and I've talked about this on the show uh, many times. Even if it's not intentional, there is inherent discrimination built into the American soccer system um, by by U.S. Soccer. Even if it's even even if that wasn't a conscious decision in the beginning, it's a byproduct of the choices yes. that, that have been made. And, um, you know, we can sit here and and ignore those or try to, you know, rationalize, well, that, you know, that wasn't our intent. Well, it doesn't matter what the intent was. It, it's still there. And uh, in, in, it's in Watsonville. It's in Salinas. It's in... Areas all across this country, there, you know, I, I talk about on the show. There, there's, there are entire states that are locked out of the highest levels of American soccer. It's, it's crazy to me that we, uh, we put up with this in, in this uh, type of system in, uh, in a country like America. But uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why we have this show and why we talk about it and fight the fight each yeah. and every day. So you, you grow up. You, you obviously you're not living in Watsonville now you're in Southern California in the San Diego area yes. um, and and you you said at a young age you wanted to do something covering the sport playing the sport if at all possible being a professional player and you acknowledge you didn't quite reach that goal <laughs> but you get to talk to professional players a lot and you get to cover professional players a lot so what was that like getting you know, uh, older and realizing that part of your dream coming true, being able to cover the sport and make a living uh, in the game that you love in a way that you uh, had interest in doing from a very young age.
1: I feel, I feel blessed and, and I feel privileged to be able to to do what I do for a living and and to know that I've followed a, a dream. I've, I've followed a pathway that I, I like to think I was building and, and kind of, laying out myself and with the help of of plenty of others and and beautiful beautiful people who have helped me or or lended a hand or lended a kick in the ass or lended a word of advice from from whenever it it may have been all the way to to this day right now and being on this show with you it's what it's all about working as a a freelance independent artist um who happens to cover football for a living and and i've broadcasted every other sport known to mankind i did years of high school football minor league baseball i broadcasted lacrosse at my alma mater of humboldt state university i've done cycling broadcasting tennis broadcasting if there's a a paycheck and a microphone you'll uh You'll find me there, but the ultimate, the ultimate passion, and as I've always known, and where I think it's safe to say the the greatest skill set uh, is, and and that's because of the the romanticism and the upbringing and everything that's kind of ingrained inside me. It's within, it's within football. It's within within the soccer world, and so I'm blessed and privileged to be not only working in professional soccer um, in my day to day life, but also working in one of the most unique soccer communities in the entire world uh, one of the most just unique places in the entire world and in, in the sense of of this cross-border community and, and the notion that we have uh a top flight professional league mx team here in the Sholos of club tijuana and the stadium where club america has to come and play a road game every year where tigres has to come where all these big names of of mexican football monterey chivas Santa, name them they got to come here. It's, it's something bigger than, than just Sholos. So I always remind that to people and, and the notion that Estadio Caliente hosts these games and, and has this club that we love here in this community. And Daniel, we're talking about something that's 20 miles from where I'm talking to you from right now here in San Diego, and it's in another country. You got to cross an international border to get to it. And you sometimes forget about that because to a lot of people, it's just the home team. It's the home team here, and and we love them. And there's a lot of great soccer popping off here in San Diego in 2020 with the SD Loyal and and the new USL team that's going to be in town. You got the San Diego Soccer, one of the longest running soccer brands uh, in America. The Arena Soccer stalwarts. You talk about American soccer nostalgia, man. The the San Diego Soccer's are still here and still exist. I broadcast their games, and so. If it's soccer in this cross-border community, uh, you'll find me there as as a writer, as a broadcaster. Playing pickup to this day, still still feeding the passion and watching matches in pubs. There's a great, great Premier League supporters culture uh, that exists down here. There's just a fervent passion for for Mexican soccer, not just with Cholos, but for the Mexican national team, for every other club, damn near uh, in in Mexican football. You could find a representative of that club somewhere uh, in San Diego County. That's the the level of of diversity and and passion uh, just within the Mexican and game and I think kind of putting a bow on on that particular aspect of the discussion I remember back during the 2018 World Cup and just all oh, the kind of despair and and stuff that I felt obviously I, I would be the last person to deny that I felt despair sadness and heartbreak at the U.S. failing to qualify and failing to get a point in CUVA in October of 2017 uh, and missing out on the 2018 World Cup and the ultimate saving grace uh, that happened here in San Diego was being a part of that tournament and every game, no matter where I was, no matter what pub, especially at my, uh, my local, my local watering hole, the blue foot bar and lounge uh, here in just up the road in North park uh, here in San Diego. If you're ever in town, come on over to the foot, beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, one of the homes of uh, of football passion uh, here in San Diego, but at the foot alone, um, I met people from all 32 countries and these weren't, you know, people with long stories. Oh yeah. My, my grandpa was from so-and-so and, you know, second, third generation. These are people who were, there were people here on J ones. There were people here on, you know, work that work trips through the summer. There were people who just moved to San Diego a few months ago. There's all these stories and, and just stories on stories and stories. And, it was just such a microcosm of of beautiful diversity, and it was so beautiful that it made me forget that the U.S. wasn't even playing. I, I, I by the end of the World Cup, I'd completely forgotten about the U.S.'s failure to qualify because I was shown a, a, another really important side of of what this is all about. And we become so insular, we become so segregated, so in our own little worlds. And going back to what you were talking about, as far as the the way that our our youth system works and the way that our system of player development works. I think it's very much the same principle at hand in terms of that, that insular, everybody keep it tight culture. And that's just not me as never going to be me. And so this last summer of uh, 2018, back last year uh, in San Diego, I think was the the greatest example of such where just at the Bluefoot. there were, there were fans, natives of every country That took part from Tunisia to Costa Rica to Nigeria to Argentina to England, Colombia, you name it. There was a representative from that country present in San Diego at my local bar. So much love to this cross-border community and much love to the beautiful game and uh, the way it all ties together.
0: When we uh, look at Southern California, for anyone who has never been there or is unfamiliar with the landscape, I have a lot of friends there have been there many times. My brother used to live in San Diego. I've, 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 I've been to that part of the world uh, a, a lot. Um, when you look at American soccer at large, one of the, the topics of conversation, even within the United States Soccer Federation, is – that southern california in many uh people's eyes is the hotbed of american soccer there is uh you know, passion there. There, obviously, as you've been talking about, uh, even there in San Diego, the the proximity to um, Tijuana and and the club and the stadium and the matches, um, you know, feeds into that as well. Um, as someone who is living there, working there, you know, taking in a World Cup in 2018, and you, you're meeting all these people, everyday life in Southern California. Describe for the audience the the kind of footballing environment there in terms of the passion level, the, um, the, the access to the game, uh, you know, if, if there are kids that are, for example, um, you know, growing up that maybe have, um, you know, Mexican roots uh, in their family, are they, are they trying to make it through the American soccer system or are they getting overlooked? And, and having to go back across the border to give it, get a shot. What, what is the environment like for someone on the outside curious about this hotbed of American soccer? What is the realities on the ground?
1: Well, the, the, the last little theoretical that you laid out right there is actually a reality for players in Southern California. It's a reality for players up from Alice Al high school in Salinas and, and Watsonville high school in, in my hometown. And again, go back to, that article uh, that I, I promoted earlier in the show, and go back to a, a few pieces in the the Guardian and the L.A. Times over the last few years. Yes, it's something that's uh, uh, very much a reality in terms of the lack of opportunities uh, given to uh, hardworking young Latino players in all over California, from my original home up north on the Central Coast to the Los Angeles area, and, and all the way down here to San Diego, but. Another thing that I kind of want to spotlight is the unique qualities again of where I'm specifically located. And when we talk Southern California, I think I'd be willing to wager that 99% of the people hearing this right now, when they hear Southern California, they think Los Angeles. And that's just kind of how the the American brain works, whether you're from California, you're from the East Coast, you're middle America, it, it, it really don't matter when you think SoCal, you think LA and San Diego, San Diego has this heavy, heavy chip on the shoulder that you could look at from a few different angles, but it's a, it's the LA chip. It's the notion that you sort of have Southern California, which is LA to everybody. And then you still have this whole market down here, this great soccer market. That's been very underserved from a professional standpoint, always with the, the best TV ratings during World Cups and during even U.S. national team matches, Mexico national team matches, when you actually break down those Liga MX and Premier League TV numbers that you referenced here at the top of the show. San Diego, always number one. Number two, there is a passion that exists in this community. It's so unique because you have the chip on the shoulder. We don't want to be L.A. We don't want to be affiliated with just leftovers or, or whatever, you know, South South L.A. to the, the the grander perspective. That's not what we are. We got our own thing going on down here and it can be a bit of a double edged sword. I'll, I'll say that with with no qualms that that level of, uh, dare I say, insecurity sometimes uh, can can come back to, to bite people and, and maybe give what what comes out, I think often um hopefully not too often but at least in the four years that i've lived here i've seen quite a bit which is a an inferiority complex that that comes from and i'm just talking on a grander this is away from you know the the socioeconomic consequences of and and, and discrepancies and, and evil of of the pay-to-play system i mean more on a a broader footballing level and really you could say actually on a a broader sports Level And and I got here right when the San Diego Chargers were moved up to LA and that whole fiasco. I was here when San Diego was fighting to get an MLS team and that failed. And there's all this, this backstory and and kind of backlog stuff of, of San Diego specifically, which is that it's just the city that can't get anything done. It's just the city that, that has this chip on the shoulder. It's in L.A.'s shadow. You got the Cholos and the Sholos tapped into that. The Sholos took full advantage of that. They came into the San Diego market and said, Hey, we're here. Come on down. Let's let's host you anytime you want to come on down to our games. And Cholos, five years after being founded and one year after being promoted in 2011, won a championship. They won League AMX in, in 2012 in their first full year uh, after getting promoted to the top flight. And There's a lot of people, Daniel, who who think back to that 2012 championship who were uh, on the U.S. side of the border. And when they reference it, they go, that's the only championship, the only top flight championship that San Diego's won ever. I mean, (laughs) when you actually think about it, the San Diego Padres has never won a World Series. Chargers never won a Super Bowl and they boned out of town. You had two NBA teams who left back in the day. The city of San Diego, apart from the arena soccer history of the soccers, I don't want to overlook that because that's some beautiful stuff. And there's 14 banners hanging up in the rafters at the old sports arena. But apart from that, let's just say outdoor professional sports, yeah, there's never been a championship in this city. And there's a chip that exists. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy, heavy chip. And I, I can't wait to see how sd loyal this this usl team uh, how they harness that in the right ways because a chip a quote unquote inferiority complex it can be channeled in the right way it, it really really can so uh let's uh, let's channel that passion and that energy uh in in a positive way uh moving forward into 2020 so i hope i kept that succinct and, and that all tied together there sir
0: no, that that works I I do have a question you talk about San Diego not being able to get things done why is that why why is it because it's a, it's a great city it is my second favorite city in, in California and no my favorite is not LA it's San Francisco because my favorite city in the whole world is New York and so I, I love the density of, of San Francisco proper um, but I love San Diego if my family had to pick anywhere to live in California they would live in San Diego not San Francisco so I, I would be in San Diego Diego as well, um, they would win out in that fight. Uh, but when when you look at San Diego and all of the things that you mentioned that they have going for it, it's it's an incredible city. You right. can get around the city pretty pretty well. The downtown has, has been revitalized over the last 20 years. It's incredible. Um, why is it that the city has been unable to really leverage its assets and resources to Build something, you know, local. I mean, yes, I get the television numbers, but to your own teams, I mean, you know, you've got San Diego nineteen oh four that played in Nisa this year. You've got the USL uh, San Diego Loyal coming in, the San Diego yeah. Soccers, the the Chargers. They left. You mentioned the NBA teams that left. You have the Padres still there. Um, why is it that on, on a sporting sense, the city has been unable to really capture the market and make something you know really really successful especially from a championship standpoint but also just from an operating standpoint to to be able to keep you know these teams around and growing and operating
1: well i want to take this opportunity to actually shout out sd loyal because one of the things that was really cool in the way that they built uh this club from from the start and Got the logo out and and got the push for 2020, and they are going to play in the spring of 2020, playing games at Torero Stadium out at the University of San Diego. A beautiful, beautiful stadium. Great, intimate atmosphere. I can't wait uh, for those games in 2020. But shout out to SD Loyal because it relates specifically to, to this question that you asked. It's really funny what they did, where they went and had these focus groups all over town, and they talked to people about what the problems are and tried to find answers to the questions that you're asking me right now. And then sort of at the end of all of it, kind of flipped it on its head and said, okay, we've heard that excuse before, or let's not even let's not call it an excuse, we've heard that reasoning before we've heard this is why it doesn't work this is why there's everyone's a transplant no one's had. no one has any uh you know real ties to the ground that they stand on and all of these different things and you hear people out and you definitely give people the time of day and you don't reject anyone's idea you hear everyone's thoughts and then you kind of rattle with them a little bit you think about them and what sd loyal did is they they heard a lot of that and processed it and then flipped it on its head and said okay we hear you, but those also, a lot of them, sound a little bit like excuses and like built-in excuses for things not working. What if we just came with the attitude, knowing that there's a little bit of that quote-unquote inferiority complex, the little bit of quote-unquote insecurity, your chip on the shoulder, and what if we channeled that in the best way possible by kind of just completely ignoring it and going, no. We're not going to let that plague the back of our minds with every decision that we make from here on. We are SD loyal. We are loyal to San Diego, loyal to the soil, 2020. Let's get this thing moving forward. This is for the next generation. We ain't going nowhere. And that was the message that they came with. That was the message that I got to. Give to the people of San Diego during uh, uh, just a, a fabulous unveiling ceremony uh, event back in early November about a month ago. Uh, actually, it was it was such a cool thing. And the notion that that was the message that I was instructed to to convey uh, to people that meant a lot to me because that was different. I've I've heard all of the excuses. I've heard all of the reasoning for why it doesn't work here in San Diego, why it's never going to happen, why this city. And I get it. I get the cynicism. I get the, the sarcasm and cynicism and just eye roll vibe that a lot of people have going, oh, here comes another thing that's going to come and go. Here comes another failed project. And S. D. Loyal went around town and they listened to everybody and then said, OK, well, what if we do it this way? What if we just come in and and own this thing and and do it for the people and do it for all the right reasons and do it in all the right ways? So I'm excited to see where that project goes because defeating San Diego sporting pessimism—that is a, a a that's a fight for not for the fame of heart. And I really I've got a lot of faith uh, in in this team and the management and the people uh, people running it. And and I can't wait to to see where it goes.
0: In terms of you know this head start that Tijuana has on the San yeah. Diego market, and now the San Diego loyal coming into the USL Championship um, are going to try to establish themselves. Um, you know, a year after the San Diego nineteen oh four have tried to establish themselves uh, in that market. Uh, what what do you look at in terms of knowing that area? W- what do you look at in terms of the the Opportunities, the possibilities, the potential of San Diego, in your mind. Uh, I know they've flirted with the idea of trying to, to you know, uh, you know, flash eyes at Don Garber in the past, and and figure out a way to get an MLS team, and and not to say that the San Diego Loyal couldn't uh, eventually do the same thing going through what, what seems to be the conventional route right. these days, which is to come into USL, show that you're viable, and then flash eyes again at Don Garber, and then you get to come into the to, to MLS. But uh, whatever the pathway, um, what do you see as the the possibilities there for potential in San Diego support? Is it always going to be in the shadow of Tijuana? or do you think that you can build a big viable vibrant uh, football club right in the heart of San Diego?
1: Um, I would say yes unequivocally yes to that last question we can do this and I like to think that the little bitty role that I play it's it's one that I'm blessed to play and and I, I call myself a, a voice of the cross-border soccer community uh, a, a voice of the cross-border community at large, where I'm on the ground in two countries most days of the week. I'm I'm working in TJ two to three days a week for the last couple of years. I'm I'm here in San Diego, living, working, playing, having a great time, and making sure that this fusion exists to the best of of my potential. And mind you, I've got a a small little role to play, but if more people could think of it like this, I, I would like to think that we'd be better for it. And I think that the folks from SD loyal have gotten this more than anyone but the folks from the San Diego Soccers uh, have gotten this over the last couple of years let's not forget that the San Diego Soccers the arena soccer team here in here in SD brought Landon Donovan out of retirement last year to to play arena soccer and it was a hit it was wild it was fun and and it helped to to fuse some things together and now look at landon venturing into coaching and and being the the first manager of of this sd loyal team going into this usl campaign and tying that back to Sholos, credit to them tip of the hat to them where that's always been their attitude going when the the rumors the original soccer city sd mls rumors started circling and people at were asked are you guys are you guys worried about this what are you what are your thoughts and Everyone from ownership all the way down to management coaches, everyone going more soccer in San Diego, more soccer in our community. The more soccer, the better. I think this is back when, uh, when El Piojo was the manager when Miguel Herrera was, was managing Cholos, uh, back in 2016. I remember Piojo getting asked a question about it and he went, you kidding me? Like, sounds great. Wonderful. More soccer, the better, the more, the merrier. Let's keep this thing going. And obviously that doesn't work everywhere. In a lot of communities, I would be willing to bet some people would disagree with me and say that, no, here, it's about kind of harnessing one club, getting as much energy to one thing. Because we can't spread our resources too far and, and spread ourselves too thin and have too many things going on. And sometimes too much competition can be a bad thing. And I get that. And here, it's different. Here, this is a place where it's big enough to support multiple teams. Multiple teams, in my opinion, if they're done right and if they're pushing each other in the right way, it's a fusion and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The notion that the San Diego Soccers, the Cholos of Club Tijuana, SD Loyal, 1904, ASC San Diego, I could keep going, San Diego State, Aztecs, college soccer, I could keep on going all the way down to the 150 bajillion youth clubs around San Diego. Some of them get it, some of them don't. There are some people who have a, uh, I like to call it a, a squirrel and a nut approach where it's just you know, mine, 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 mine. It's like, dude, there's a whole tree of them right over there. What are you tripping out about this one little acorn? But that's the mindset that plagues a lot of people. And that's not just here in San Diego. That's all around our, our soccer nation in the United States. I, I think that's something that people need to kind of look in the mirror and and check in with and learn how to, uh, not be like and, and learn how to have a little bit more uh, ability to share and and that with sharing comes a good competition and and a good push uh from your peers and so shout out to Sholos. Shout out to the Soccers and shout out to SD Loyal. Really, uh, uh, first and foremost, those three names have, have just been adamant over the last few months and, and going back years uh, with with the Sholos and the Soccers of being a part of a grander cross-border soccer community that exists 12 months a year, no less always going on. There's always soccer. There's always a match on at the pub. Support your local watering hole that shows matches. Support your local League MX team. Support your local Football Rapido Arena soccer team. Support your USL team, your NISA team, your whatever. If it's football, it's football. It's local. It's yours. Have it
0: last question as someone who is there in a in a cross-border city you're in a unique kind of uh, perspective uh, and and you're living this kind of cross-border life uh, in in back and forth you have a first division club uh, in Liga MX right there you have the San Diego loyal trying to uh, uh, launch in the spring with the USL Championship, which is in, in Division Two, and we just talked about like multiple clubs and and what have you. One of the things when you look at the United States—we are like we're a continent-sized country. We have massive cities all over this country, cities that are are as big or bigger than a lot of of these European cities that host clubs that we all know um, and that we follow and and that we support. Uh, and some of these cities overseas have multiple clubs uh, and, and successful clubs. that may not all be first division, but they're they're you know sizable clubs. And some of them are, you know, first division clubs. Um, You know, my family, for example, this summer, um, we were in in Europe, and we stopped in Liverpool. um, And, you know, to see um, from the stadium and look out in less than a mile away, is Goodison park and you can see Everton. I mean, it's like right there. You feel like you could just throw a baseball or a football and a frisbee and hit the stadium. Uh, it's, it's a short walk, um, to, to get to, to Everton's grounds. And you, you look kind of zoom back out. You look back at the United States with, with your perspective where you are and looking at the size of San Diego, looking at the size of American cities what is the potential of American soccer if we ever get it right? Can we be at the top of the heap in the global game if we ever, you know, align all of our resources uh, together in terms of a system to, to be able to leverage these massive, huge cities all over this country?
1: I would like to think yes. I would like to err on the side of hopefulness, um, but that's a big ask of a lot of people. Um, and I don't just mean the the people in power who who we need to to get to and and possibly dethrone eventually. And and we could get into a whole other discussion as far as leadership and the trickle down effects of of. Corruption and greed and all the things that we've kind of alluded to uh, in regards to the pay to play system and and systems of player development and the, the, the squirrel syndrome that I talked about people being very protective of, of their their small amount of resources or large amount of resources, whatever it is, the insular cultures uh, that, that very much plague us as as a soccer country and, and grow in the game. And so I go back to the development. I go back to to the youth and and the, the evils of pay-to-play and and what who I should say is is blocked out uh uh by this system. It's on us. It's on all of us to scout our own communities. It's on all of us to do everything that we can uh street by street, block by block. And, and for the next generation. And and if the more of us, the more of us that, that have that mindset, the better we will be. And so wherever you are listening to this, it can apply to your small town. If you're in a big city listening to this, it can apply to your big city. It's a universal concept, a universal construct to me, the, the art, the idea of of scouting your own communities and, and doing everything that you can, whether it's growing a club, whether it's growing players, cultivating talent. Um, it all comes back to the same principle. And I think we're, we're all capable of it. It's going to take some, some diligent effort and and some real, real hard work and some, some gritty dirt in the nails for, for a lot of people. But I know a lot of people here in San Diego and Tijuana alone, and let's just, this is a unique concept here with with the cross-border community, but specifically on the U.S. side of the border and going back up north to to my hometown and way up to Northern California and all over this country, all over the state of California, just for me and and how I've grown up, there are so many people willing to do this work. There are so many people who have been doing this work, who've who've been uh, putting in these types of efforts. So I commend all of those people if you out there someone who identifies with anything that I'm spitting right now I commend you and and tip my cap to you and and I encourage you uh, to continue and, and and keep it going and as much as I'd love to think about the the World Cup 22 years or whatever from now that maybe the US will finally be at the top of the heap I like to take it. Maybe a little bit more of the one step at a time approach and just go, where are you on the map? You know, I'm looking at a giant U.S. map in front of me right now, and I could just start popping pins all over it going, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you and what are you doing? And the more that we can keep in touch and keep pushing each other, whether we're in the same city, whether we're in a different state, um, let's let's keep it going. So that's that's my uh, challenge and shout out uh, to everyone out there. And and to you as well, Daniel, you're doing You're doing a great service. A lot of a lot of folks who who I've worked with over the last few years have great, great respect for your show and and the voices uh, that that you give a platform to. So if you have a platform, take advantage of it, offer it to others who, who have similar goals and mindsets. And whether you're a broadcaster, you're a coach, you're a writer, you're a young player. We can all tie together and and have these mindsets and and be be much better off uh, for them and and with them forevermore.
0: Absolutely. How can people uh, as we wrap up here, how can people get in touch with you, follow your work, follow you on social media? What's what's the best way for them to do that
1: uh, on Twitter at Nate Abaurea, last name A B A U R R. Ea pronounced with eighty-eight percent proficiency by uh, one Daniel Workman at the opening of uh, this interview, <laughs> and uh, I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook and the whole lot with the uh, the same handle at Nate so So uh, the Instagram is a fun place for also sorts of interactive soccer content. A little bit of the uh, more millennial uh, minded variety, and the uh, Twitter is a Cesspool of God knows what these days, but I like to keep my page uh, classy and. Uh, so
0: Me, as well. Nate, thanks for joining. The show, we really appreciate it. Uh, glad to have you on um, and hope everyone will take a minute to uh, to find your work and uh, and follow you on social media. You have great insights into the game and good luck um, as you continue your quest uh, in, in covering the sport and uh, right there in San Diego. Thanks for joining the show um, and we really appreciate your time. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. To learn more about Charity Water, visit charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this.
1: No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. bad water and a lack of toilets. Kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. you could know that you would made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink and we will continue fighting until that happens.
0: I'd like to thank Nate Abarea for uh, joining us today on the show and spending some time with us talking about uh, not just soccer in Southern California, but specifically in San Diego, Tijuana, um, where he grew up in uh, Watsonville, California. Uh, His insights, uh, I think, are really, really uh, important things that we need to consider and listen and learn from uh, this you know, to really get our sport where, where it needs to be in this country. Uh, as always, you can watch the show on Facebook.com forward slash W R K M N or at Daniel Workman dot com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.